we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You know, we got time that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I am Derek Johnson on today's edition of RCST. We've got plenty more KU football talk. Lance Leipold spoke with the media earlier today. We'll share that press conference for you. Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World is going to join us at 3.40 on today's show. We've got uh, all sorts of stuff to get to here today. The wait is over. Kansas DraftKings Sportsbook is here, and the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. They actually have a promo right now. You have 40% of a boost on any MLB playoff bet placed today, the divisional round ongoing right now. Nick, what's your World Series pick? Ooh, um, I don't want the Yankees to make it, so no Yankees. Begin with your heart, not your head. I don't really want the Astros either. I don't really want the Guardians. <laughs> Mutual destruction. left? You have the Blue Jays, right? Okay, okay I guess I'll go. So you have Toronto with Whit Merrifield. I'll, I'll pick Toronto. And then out of the NL, I'll go Braves. All right. Or wait, actually, I changed my Padres. I say Braves not looking good here in Game yeah, One. Yeah, Braves. Yeah, we got the game on over here, and and yeah, they're they're, they're struggling. Yeah, I I'm just I'm not going to be too crazy. I'll go Dodgers. Um, and then I will go Guardians. Okay. Dodgers Guardians in the World Series. That's my pick. Okay. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code KLWN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. 10-plus leg required for 100% boost. Opt-in required. Parlay and Wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. All right. I got some huge, huge news. Today. Oh, okay. Huge news. I actually, I hate to bring this up again, but mm-hmm. I think I have to. Okay. So the Big 12 is doing, I don't even really know what it is. They're calling it like a media blitz in New York or something. I don't know if you may have seen it. Interesting. And is this in response Yormack, to the mayor? No, this, I think, I think this was pre-planned actually before this, but okay. It is it is tangentially related to our this continuing issue of of the brand of Kansas and what the mayor of New York Eric Adams said. Brett Yormack gave him a Kansas football jersey today. Oh come on! What's up? He doesn't with that? deserve that. That's what I'm saying. Everyone's like, "Oh, great job, Commissioner Yormack. Yeah, bravo." What are you, are you serious? That that guy that we're we're at war with that guy. Yeah, and you're just gonna give him a Kansas football jersey? Like, are you kidding me? It's like uh, you know during World War One on Christmas when they played the soccer game. Is that what they did too? I just know they like stopped the oh. battle and they went and exchanged yeah. gifts with each other. Yes. And then the next day it was like back to in. just yeah, you know. No, yeah, th- I'm 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 incensed. Yeah, I'm, I don't like I'm, it. I am upset. What did what did he do 
to deserve getting a Kansas football jersey. Is that he, the lesson he, here? He, Just complain enough and good things will happen or, or make fun of people and yeah, good I things will happen? I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. How about this? Uh, Commissioner Kevin Warren, I have no idea what the context is here. This is just, I, I saw this from, uh, I don't know how to even pronounce this, Chad Lestico, Lestico. Uh, he is a Hawkeye sports columnist, and I think Big Ten basketball media days are going on right now. The Big 12s ones are next week. Yep. Um, he said, Commissioner Kevin Warren says the plan is for the Big Ten to be, quote, the strongest conference ever, end quote, in basketball. So again, the context could just be there. The commissioner is saying, yeah, we want us to be as good as possible because why would you not want that? Um, but if you really want to be the strongest basketball conference ever, why wouldn't you, know, you add the national champions? I know. Kansas has been better at football. Okay. Here's what I will say about this. Anybody who convinced themselves that the Big Ten was done expanding or was satisfied with what they have done with adding USC and UCLA, you're just being naive. You're just you're just being naive. The, the Big Ten is very obviously going to continue to expand, if for no other reason, because again we got back to this we get back to this logistical issue of USC and UCLA are three thousand miles away mm. from everyone else. Would you take that okay. exchange if if you're Kansas if they're like we will let you join the Big Ten but you have to be in the division with USC and UCLA and you're going to be traveling there all the time and it's going to be long travel. Yeah, that is interesting. But also, you get to play a lot of games in L.A. where it's nice weather. Yeah. I've never been to L.A. never been to California. I'd like to go. Um, I mean, I don't think, you have a, I don't think you'd have a choice if you're KU, would you? No, you wouldn't. you take the money and run. <laughs> but that's another piece of this, too. It's like, and, if and, hypothetically Kansas does know something, and I'm not saying that's the case, like, I, I still, you know, until it happens. I'm, I mean, I'm, it would make sense that Kansas is looking to make a move because – Think about well, yeah. If you get offered done. from the Big Ten with how much money you make it, you you take it. Well, I'm just saying beyond that, like think like what I'm saying is even if there, even if there is never going to be an offer, like right now we think there's the possibility of it. Even with that being the case, look at what KU has done. They've announced massive plans to go do this crazy thing with all a crazy multi venue that can do all kinds of different entertainment stuff for and the football obviously and all this other stuff. Like like in my mind, it's there's a possibility that the Big Ten is looking to expand, or we we know they want to expand. And there's a possibility that KU could be one of the schools they're looking at. And so what's KU doing? Well, first of all, they're performing on the field in football, which is great. But on top of that, they are doing all these other things nationally. Col College Game Day had their highest rated show yeah. it, it, before November, like since 2010. So, you know, Kansas clearly is in the national spotlight, and for good reason. They're about to drop a national championship banner. Like they're doing these things that are further kind of incentivizing of, hey, look, look at the investment we're making in football. Look at what we're doing with even Travis Guff had briefly suggested a possibility of renovating Allen Fieldhouse at some point. What I mean, you know, it it just keeps going. So, yeah, I think if there's even a possibility, obviously it's clear that KU A is trying to kind of flex their muscles a little bit to to show off in terms of their investments and everything else. And B, again, I think if I think if you don't if you are of the opinion that the Big Ten is done expanding, I think you're just being naive. Well, I think something too that we haven't really talked about here, amidst all the, you know, potential idea of Lance Leipold being in these these jobs that are, are candidates for these jobs, and again, we don't know what his actually he would want to do, and, and all the comments he has made since would make you think he wants to stick around, but. If, if you're Kansas and you're Lance Leipold and, like, deep down Kansas knows all these things and all this momentum is 
inching them closer to a possible invite to the Big Ten. If that was hypothetically true, don't you think if you're Lance Leipold and you're you, you see the contract offer from Nebraska, Wisconsin, and let's say it's seven eight million dollars, you would be sitting there going, "No, I I'm you know we I just talked with the athletic director. It looks like we're going to be joining the Big Ten too in a year or two, and I'm going to be making the same amount of money. So it's not a big yeah, deal. Yeah, I think I thought that's where you're going with that, mm-hmm. which is you're gonna you know one and a half times or double your times of the amount of money you're making from media rights. Well, you better back that money straight up to Lance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's as simple as that. Assuming, assuming you know the success continues. All right, I do want to talk some uh, KU football right now. Uh, Lance Leipold at his presser again. We'll share that audio for you coming up shortly. He said that Jalen right now he would classify him as, and I'm just uh, kind of paraphrasing here, as doubtful for the game on Saturday. They, he did use the direct word of doubtful. Um, so obviously that implies Jalen Daniels not going to play against Oklahoma. Jason Bean is going to be your starter. I uh, I don't think this is a surprise by any no. notion. Obviously we saw the the two deep that came out yesterday. It's still Jalen is the number one, but figure that was just kind of you know gamesmanship or, or waiting to see maybe more medicals of before making a, a decision there. Um, so knowing that. What are kind of the expectations for Jason Bean? What are kind of the expectations for this weekend? And moving forward, however, Jalen Daniels is out. I I do think it is important to mention as part of this, Jason Bean was really good against TCU at four touchdowns in the second half. I uh, think I saw his QBR was like 90, something like that. He had the highest QBR in the country, or of Power 5 quarterbacks, I think. And I think low-key... Like it's it, it's hard to bring this up because I don't want to be like, oh, you weren't playing well and then you got injured. But Jalen Daniels was going through a bit of a rough patch there. He had the Iowa State game, which was a down game, and then he actually had a 1.5 total QBR during the game that he was out there. Now, this isn't me to say that, like, oh, Jalen Daniels is no longer good. No, I still think he's very good, and I'm sure he would have figured it out if he would have had more time in that game the same way KU's offense as a whole did. But being actually outperformed Jalen Daniels in that game. How much confidence do you go into the Oklahoma game this weekend thinking that the quarterback play should be comparable? Am I crazy to say that I don't think the offense is going to miss a beat? I don't think that's crazy at all. Because that's how I feel. I mean, they put up 28 in the second half on TCU. I feel very optimistic about the situation that KU is in right now for a variety of reasons. Number one, all we heard about all preseason long was how great Jalen Jason Bean was playing, and this was some of the best football of his career, this, that, and the other, and Jalen beat him out. And Jason Bean took that in stride, and he's been, as the backup, they've got him in some different packages. But, yeah, I, I don't feel like there's going to be a significant drop, if any drop at all, for the, for the KU offense. I think Jason Bean has clearly demonstrated that he has the physical talent and abilities now, he had some very, very high ups against TCU, but he did have some also very low lows against TCU. And as I was watching that second half unfold, I began to realize, I think probably this is why Jalen Daniels won the starting quarterback job in the first place for KU. I think Jalen Daniels brought a little bit more stability and a little bit more consistency to the quarterback position that maybe Jason Bean hasn't quite gotten to that level yet of decision-making and of you know, just awareness and things like that with with, Jay, with Jason Bean. But there's no question that Jason Bean has a great arm. There's no question that he's the, one of the fastest players, if not the fastest player on the team for KU. And at any given moment, he might be the fastest player on the field, again, depending on who they're playing. So 
I don't think this really changes a whole lot for the KU offense. And Andy Kolnicki has shown himself to be really a savant so far this this first half of the season. So I think he's going to not really miss a beat in figuring out how to make sure that Jason Bean is in a position to succeed because that's exactly what he did with Jalen Daniels. And I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't do the same with Jason Bean. So if anything, I think there's – I guess maybe the one thing that you might miss more of with Jason Bean is, first of all, he clearly struggled in the option game against TCU. He had two bad pitches. They didn't really run a lot of read option with him. And Andy Kolnicki had highlighted the vision of Jalen Daniels as being one of his biggest strengths as a runner. And if you don't have that level of vision or that level of confidence as a quarterback, in, or I guess as an offensive coordinator in Jason Bean and his ability to make reads and things like that running the ball, maybe KU might take a hit in terms of what they were able to do with that triple option style and option game that they had working with Jalen Daniels. Maybe that might not be as successful to Jason Bean, but I, I don't see I don't there's no indication to me that this offense is going to just relapse and suddenly be a, a, a bottom of the Big Twelve offense with Jason Bean at quarterback. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think the the biggest question I would have are those inconsistencies last year. We saw a game like the Oklahoma game, he was great. We saw other games where it was down, but how much of that is Jason Bean? How much of that has Jason Bean just improved on? Like, yes. we heard so much about how good he was in camp and that he was playing his best football. So clearly he's better than he was last year. And then how much better do just the numbers and the output get when you just have a better team scheme and kind of insulation around you, which they do this year? I think if you're comparing the two guys, uh, kind of what you were saying, like less accuracy for Jason Bean throwing the ball. Which, well, there's no question he's got the arm talent. Yeah. In terms of, he has in terms the, of power. I, I mean, honestly, you could almost argue that. Jason Bean throws a better deep ball. Yes. Like, he's really able to loft it up there and let his guys go get it. But I think overall less accuracy. There were a couple missed throws there. Jason Bean obviously has more speed. I do think that Jalen has – it's not as clear to say, like, oh, Jason Bean's faster, so he's just a better runner. Yeah, I don't think that's a fair no, statement at all. No, because Jalen is more willing to take hits. I don't think Jason Bean likes getting hit, which is fine. I wouldn't either. Um, But – Jalen is more willing to go, I think, in between the tackles and take those hits and kind of break some tackles, whereas Jason Bean is more of just a, you know, avoid hits. And and a lot of times he can just run by the hits in a lot of those different ways. Um, but honestly, there could be a, a good piece of that because now that you are back to your backup quarterback, you don't want him taking hits to where he could be at risk of getting injured because then you're on your third string quarterback. So that could actually play in Jason Bean and, and KU's favor there in that regard. Um yeah, there were some people who thought Jason Bean was better than Jalen Daniels over the offseason camp. So I don't think we should should be all you know doom and gloom about oh they they have a backup quarterback or whatnot. Not that anybody really is. Um, I, I mean, I I really think the offense is is not going to miss a beat hardly. Yeah, I, like I, I said think, I think the option game is the only question mark I might have because of how highly they spoke of Andy Kolnicki and Lance spoke of Jalen Daniels and his ability to use his vision and everything running the ball. So maybe that does take a hit. And also, Jason Bean had two horrible pitches against TCU, one of them which set them back to a third and 20, mm-hmm. which ultimately led to them throwing an interception, which that was kind of maybe, I don't want to say a turning point, but certainly a, a, a critical series of events that happened in the second half. I feel very confident in what he can do in the short term. It's If you told me Jason Bean's the starter the next six games – I would have a few worries just about those inconsistencies. Absolutely. Like with Jalen Daniels, I I would feel good that every game you go into, you have a shot at winning and being competitive. With Jason Bean, I I would wonder if, yeah, you you might win, you know, the same amount of games, but you might have more games where instead of with Jalen Daniels, where the floor might be a a one score loss or a 10 point loss, like you could just have a really bad game that 
maybe you lose by 30 or 25 or something with Jason Bean. I don't know. The rest of the team has been good enough that they haven't really shown any signs of, of that being the case. But yeah. um, I, I think that's just it, – it's just a higher variance, a higher set of outcomes for what it could be with Jason Bean. But you're right. The, the ultimate result is that you do have confidence in what he's going to be there. Uh, one question I have, if Jason Bean does perform really well here – over however long Jalen Daniels is out, because we don't know how long Jalen Daniels is going to be out. I would think, though, the fact that he gave him a doubtful tag as opposed to just like a he's out does indicate it's not going to be like a super long-term thing. Yeah. Um, I still kind of think, I think we both agreed on this yesterday, it would make yeah. sense, miss the next two games, then you have the bye week to get ready. Yeah. Well, and I think kind of what we've been discussing is with, with how competitive it was and how we expect the offense to continue to, to do well with Jason Bean, why wouldn't you hold Jalen out mm-hmm. until you're sure he is 100% ready to go? And, yeah, I think what would make the most sense, obviously we don't know the extent of the injury or really what the injury is. I mean, we think it's a shoulder injury, mm-hmm. but we don't really know. But, yeah, I think what makes the most sense is if it's not that serious, miss the next two games, then you have an extra bye to really get ready for Oklahoma State in what could be a top-five Oklahoma State team coming to Lawrence at that point if they take care of business these next couple weeks. they got TCU coming up, but – you know, they're going to be a top 10 team, top 15 team probably coming in. So that's obviously going to be a huge game. So, yeah, I think that makes the most sense. If the injury is – if that's kind of how the timeline plays out of, hey, these next two weeks we'll roll with Jason Bean, bye week, Oklahoma State. Yeah. I do wonder, though, back to this question. I, yeah, I sorry. No, I kind of, I kind of <laughs> sidetracked myself, too. If Jason Bean goes off, let's say in the next – let's say he plays the next two or three games, and he goes off and he plays unbelievable football – do you have any question in your mind that Jalen would come back immediately and be the starter? I don't think so. Unless it was like, unless they go down and score like 56 on Oklahoma and then they blow out Baylor also. Like if they're 2 and 0 with two like very incredible games from the offense, then maybe we might have to have to start having that question or that discussion a bit further. But no, to me, I think this is definitely Jalen's team when he comes back, you know, barring. Like I said, he just goes crazy. But, I mean, it is obviously very interesting because, obviously, the roles reversed last yes. season. It was Jason Bean starting. Obviously, the success wasn't quite there in terms of, you know, what Jalen's been able to do to the start of the season. But, obviously, it's the same idea of Jason Bean had started six, seven games at that point, And he goes down with an injury. Jalen comes in. They get a big win. So, yeah, imagine, imagine Jalen goes down. Jason Bean comes in. They get a big win against Oklahoma. And then they go on the road and beat Baylor. I mean, at that point, yeah. I think you almost have to have the discussion. Yeah, and, and yeah, I, I think because of how it went last year, it, it doesn't rule it out that, you know, you can't lose your job because of injury. Like, that's not necessarily a thing if you perform that well. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Matt Tate will join us in about 15, 20 minutes. And right now, but coming up next, we've got some Lance Lightbold audio to share for you. That, on the other side, this is RCST. <laughs> Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. So, um, obviously, Jalen Daniels is listed as, I guess, doubtful, according to Lance Leipold from his press conference earlier today. Knowing that Jason Bean at that point would be the starter, does that change what you would have for... I don't know, thoughts on, on confidence level that KU could co- come away with a victory in Norman or, or how competitive would they be? Does it change anything at all for how you kind of view this game uh, between KU and OU? I don't think it does. Um, you know, part of that is because 
Bean did so well the other day in the second half showed that he's more than capable of going out there and, and making plays against a good team. Um, on top of that, I, I think that, you know, his, his teammates believe in him and nobody on that side of things was all that concerned about it either. And, and so I think you give him a full week and, and you give him the game plan that suits him. And, uh, you know, I, I, I expect that, that he'll go down and play pretty well. If, if, if anything, it might lean me towards thinking a little bit more about, you know, maybe they have some sort of weird advantage um, because OU hasn't seen a ton of Bean this year, um, you know, basically just one half. And uh, I don't know how much you can go back to last year and, and, and really look at what he was doing then if you want to, and I'm sure they did. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know that you, uh, you can gain that much from looking at last year because I think grown he's matured he's more talented he's better he's stronger all those things um and then on top of it mentally he's he's just in a much better place than he was trying to learn this thing on the fly and uh trying to figure out how to play within this offense it seems like he's a lot more comfortable this year he's talked about that going all the way back to august you know so um i i think i don't know that it's one of those you know true advantages but i'd probably rather prepare for the guy that I've seen five, six games of if I was Oklahoma than the guy that I've only seen a half of. Yeah, that's that's an interesting part of it, that you do have the, the preparation, I guess, between that and, and not really knowing what the KU offense is going to look like here just because they have kind of changed up from what they were last year to this year and obviously slightly different quarterback, but... Um, would like I guess how surprised would you be if if the offense is completely different than what it was like? Do you just expect it to continue to be kind of this spread option and and I don't know uh, kind of deep passing attack look from from KU offensively, or do you think they are going to kind of change things up and maybe they will be more of a possession style game of of similar to what they did against OU and Lawrence last year? I, you know, I think it would be pretty surprising if it was all that different. Um, Lance Leipold said today, I kind of asked him a similar question, and, and he, you know, he basically said the call sheet's the call sheet. You know, we we are what we are. We have what we have. I I think it's it's obvious that, you know, there would be certain plays that, that you know, Jalen likes more than, than Bean does or Bean is more comfortable with than maybe Jalen is or, or they're willing to try a little bit more with one guy or the other, you know, that, that's, that's part of it. That's part of any game plan and part of any, any, uh, really any offense, you know? So, um, I, I think that, I think that it's important to, uh, you, don't you still have me? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I, I, my phone did something weird there, but, but I, I think it's important to, uh, to be who you are and, and, keep that continuity within the rest of the offense. I mean, you know, I get that the quarterback position is the most important position in in maybe all of sports, but at the same time, you do have 10 other guys that are doing their jobs pretty well right now, and you don't want to overreact and and force any of those guys to to do much different than they've been doing through six games. And and so uh, that's why I think you have systems rather than just kind of going – Herky jerky every week and changing with your personnel to to extreme measures. I think that you know they they looked at this thing in the off season and in spring and and in preseason camp and said, okay, you know, let let let's create an offense that that um, you know maximizes what what our two guys can do. 
And I think that's the reason that you didn't see them move Jason Bean to another position. Uh, they, they wanted to be ready for a moment like this, whether it was one game or five or six games. You know, they, they felt good about his talent and wanted to make sure that, that, you know, they could sort of flip the switch from one guy to the next if injury or something else, you know, created that as, as the reality or, or a necessity. And, and here we are. And, and I think that that's going to really benefit them. Now we'll see, you know, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm obviously talking in, in some pretty absolute terms there. Um, it's impo- it's possible that they could go down there and really struggle as an offense too. But based on the way this whole offense has played, and based on the way the Oklahoma defense has looked, I- I'd be really surprised if they didn't go down and and, and perform well. Um, and whether that's being tearing it up and putting up crazy numbers like Jalen was doing for a while, or just being the man that kind of runs the show and, and steers the ship, then you know I, I think. Either one is possible, but but I don't think it'll, it'll be too big for him, and, and I don't think they'll have to change drastically uh, to accommodate him. On the other side, for Oklahoma, they've got some questions of their own about their starting quarterback, Dylan Gabriel. How much does your opinion of KU's chances in this game change whether he plays or doesn't play for Oklahoma? Yeah, that's a good question, too. It's kind of wild, isn't it, that that's a, that's a question that you can ask on both sides of this thing. Um you know, I, gosh, I, I haven't, admittedly, I haven't watched a whole lot of Oklahoma this year, obviously see the scores and and know that they've struggled the last few weeks. But I, I thought Lance made a great point today um, that the three teams they've played are, are pretty good football teams, K-State, TCU, and, and then Texas with, with getting their quarterback back, back last week. So, um, you know, does it is, it is it panic time by Oklahoma standards? It probably is, and and they're probably really, really freaking out down there. This can't be much fun for them. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if they have reached the point where it's just total chaos and panic and pandemonium. Yeah, it could be. It, it definitely could be. Um, and, and I think anytime you're in a position like they're in, you know, having lost three in a row. Ofer in a conference that you normally dominate, you know, first of all, it doesn't happen that often. And, and second of all, it's, uh, it's still pretty rare any conference really. But I think when you're in that position, um, there, there are a few things more comforting than having your guy, you know, you, you have your quarterback, you have your starting quarterback, you have your guy in there who, who, you know, won the job for a reason is your, is your leader for a reason, all those things. And so if they're not able to have him, um, yeah, I think that would give me a, a better feel or, or a, a better chance or, or a better likelihood of picking KU to win the game. Um, I think KU can win the game with or without uh, Gabriel in there. Um, but if, if Oklahoma's reeling a little bit and not playing great defense and then they're also trying to get back on track with a second-string quarterback, you know, that just makes it harder, and that would make it harder for any team. So I, I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, KU might be catching OU at a really good time. And in some other ways, they might be catching them at a really bad time because this is still Oklahoma. It's still going to be a crazy environment. And I think it's one thing to lose to TCU, a top 15 team. I think it's another to lose to K-State, um, which, you know, they've, they've lost to in the past in plenty of big games. And I think it's another thing to lose to Texas in a rivalry game. You know, granted the the way it went down and the final score and all that is is ugly. Um, but it's not like losing to Texas is unheard of. That's happened plenty of times in OU history as well. So while all of those things are sort of excusable, I think there's 
there's probably, you know, and I say this presumptuously, I'm not, I'm not talking to anybody down there right now, but um, there's probably a feeling of, well, those are all kind of acceptable, and I sort of see where they're coming from, but I'll be damned if we're going to lose to Kansas. And, you know, so whatever that means, does, does that mean it comes with a little extra confidence? Does that mean it comes with a little extra, you know, fire? I, I don't know what that mentality brings, but I'd be surprised if it's not a part of it this week. Yeah, I wanted to dive deeper into that because you've been on the show before and said maybe for some of these Big 12 programs, you know, they don't want to be that team. They don't want to be that team that loses to Kansas. Right. I mean, on one side, you've got that argument. And on the other side, you've got, well, Oklahoma season is is maybe done for all intents and purposes from their standpoint. So how much? I mean, how much is there a give and take between those two points in this game? Yeah, for sure. I mean, right? They they, they show up every year hoping to win a national championship, and they're not going to do that this year, and they know it. So um, you add three losses in a row and not playing very well, and a new coach, and all the frustrations that come with all of those things, and it's it's entirely possible that that they may not be able to dig down and say, okay, let's get this thing straightened out. Um, But I'll tell you what, it it depends on, you know, there's a lot of factors here, but if they like Coach Venables at all, and I I, I imagine they would, um, if they like him at all, they've got to figure out a way to get this thing back on track because if if it does fall off, and they lose to Kansas and drop four in a row, and and all of a sudden now you're wondering if they can even win three more games to get to a bowl game. Um, yeah, I don't know how long he'd be around if that's the case. Um, and, and we've seen KU media, KU fans, KU people. We've seen firsthand what a good idea it is and how how easy it makes life when you're turning over the head coaching spot uh, too early and too often. But you know, if if a guy with with a, a pedigree like Venables has, with with all the places he's been and all the good programs and teams he's been a part of, if he comes in after finally getting that opportunity and deciding to take that chance and be a head coach and get to run your own program, and and then you take Oklahoma and you don't make a bowl, I mean that would be that would be a lot for those people to take down there, and and I I don't know what that would lead to. So um, yeah, it, it it wouldn't surprise me at all if if there's good parts and bad parts of that of that we're playing Kansas equation like you just talked about. I mean, I think it could fire them up and they could say, you know, hey, we're struggling, but we're not that bad. And and look, that's that sounds pretty disrespectful to KU, to be honest. I, I you know, I don't love saying it because I think Kansas is a good football team and and so do a heck of a lot of other people. They're ranked and, and they've played good football all year. So it's uh it's not necessarily reality but perception is a big part of it, and, and sometimes perception is reality. And so if that's how Oklahoma and Oklahoma fans and, and the outside world perceives it to be, then, then maybe that plays a factor. But, but you know, look, if, if KU goes down there and beats Oklahoma, I, I, would, I would like to think there'd be enough people out there that would say, yeah, Oklahoma's in real trouble, and they're struggling, and it's clear. But it's not like they're losing to nobodies, you know. And and I'd like to think that people would put Kansas on that same list with K State, TCU, and Texas. I mean, it's another ranked team, you know. How, how can you be how can you be that ashamed and torn up about losing to a ranked team? I I just don't see it. So, um, you know, I I don't want to make too much of it. I don't want to go over the top or be crazy or, or or speak too loudly or anything like that. But this is a massive game for Kansas. I mean, they have already shown that they are 
in the process, if not fully there, of turning the corner. And if you can go down and win at OU to become bowl eligible, uh, that I mean, that's as big as it gets. That's not national championship type stuff, but but it's not too many rungs lower than that. I mean, at least for Kansas and, and the, the standards that you look at Kansas football by. I mean, this would be a huge, huge victory for KU if they can go find a way to get it. More KU football touchdowns against Oklahoma or Zach Clements threes in the late night in the fog scrimmage on Friday? You did you did Zach last year, didn't you? Did I? Or did no, you did Cam Martin. You did Cam Martin. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not trying to t- call you a one trick pony uh. by any means, but uh that that sounded familiar. I need a new white um, center who can shoot. More- <laughs> more Kansas touchdowns against OU or Zach Clements threes yeah. at late night is your question. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take KU touchdowns, um, which is so weird. Who would have thought that, right? Three months ago, you asked me that question. Uh, I mean, wow, what a world we live in. So, um, and I, you know, I, I think, I don't think it's because KU is going to go score seven or eight touchdowns. I just, I don't know that Zach will make more than one or two. Um, it, the, the game doesn't always lend itself to jacking up three pointers. It's a lot of highlights and people trying to get dunks and up and down, no defense, that kind of thing. So, uh, I'm, I'm hedging a little bit there, but I also think that, that Kansas is going to play well offensively. I, I, I was really, really, really impressed with how Jason Dean performed and he didn't even know he was going to play. So you give him a little bit more time, you give him, you know, a week to prepare, you give him the, the, confidence of knowing that that this is my game this is my week this is my game plan um everybody else knows it too i i think you can go a long way with that with that comfort and uh he obviously looked plenty comfortable most of the time he made a couple really bad mistakes um that proved really costly and so it's not like he was perfect by any means but to be thrown into that situation uh against a team like that and to to put up numbers like he did i i think he played great and and whether it's one week, two weeks, six weeks, whatever it is, I I, I think KU will be just fine with uh, with Bean or Daniels out there. And, and uh, boy, they look awfully smart right now for not moving him to receiver because there were a lot of us, uh, fans included, who, who wanted to talk about that, wanted to write about that, wanted to see that happen. And um, if they had moved him away from quarterback right now, they, they'd they'd be starting a, a freshman and uh, a guy who's never played a, a single snap in a game. And that would be way different than playing a guy like Jason Bean. He is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work in the Lawrence Journal world and the KUSports.com. Matt, appreciate the time as always, man. Yes, sir. You guys have a great week. Thanks. All right. That's Matt Tate. Again, check out all the work at KUSports.com. That is his weekly appearance with us here on RCST. One hour down, two to go with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Later this hour, I'll have my college football playoff rankings. We'll have a KU offensive notebook in the five o'clock hour and share the rest of the Lance Leipold audio then as well. Looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235 has you covered. Located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235, a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. Chiefs take down the Raiders last night, 30-29. to You know what was, was funny? Um, 
What's that? When when the Raiders went for two, that was certainly like a lot of discourse. The Chiefs going for two to yeah. try to put the game away. I have a funny story about that, but I'll let you finish. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then the Raiders going for two to try to take the lead. There was a part of me that was actually like, I kind of hope the Raiders get this. Because how often have we seen the Chiefs, when they have a lead like that late in a game, kind of turtle up? Yep. And I don't know how much they did really turtle up in that situation because they did you know, kind of attack to a certain standpoint. But for the biggest plays of the game, you go to Clyde Edwards-Alaire and McCole Hardman, which is probably not totally ideal. Nonetheless, um, I almost had this feeling like if if we're up one with the ball with four minutes, we're going to do something stupid, have to punt it away, and then you're going to rely on the defense. <laughs> Whereas if the Chiefs get, or if the Raiders get the two-point conversion – then they have to be in full-out attack mode, and then you're in four-down territory every single time with Patrick Mahomes as your QB, and then all you need is a field goal. But then again, Matthew Wright was not kicking very well, so it's kind of a, an interesting flip yeah. there. What, what was your story? Okay, so I'm in a very, very competitive fantasy football league, Okay, and there was a matchup of my league. I was not involved in This is two of my friends, but in the matchup, they were separated by less than one point, and the guy that was trailing had Daniel Carlson. So if the Raiders had kicked the extra point to tie the game, he would have won the fantasy matchup. Mm. But because they decided to go for two instead, he lost. That sucks. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's all you got. I, that's, I, I don't no, know what you want to do. I, you know, no, that's fair. That's fair. But it's just a funny. You story, want me to you know. write him a check? No, 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 no. It's just yeah. it does suck. Funny, it does. I don't know. Side note. It is, and it sucks. Um, <laughs> legit, the worst call of all time. Roughing the passer. Okay, I mean that's we just super had this hyperbole. discussion yesterday. We <laughs> literally just had this discussion yesterday uh -huh. about the Tom Brady call, and now we've got this. I don't know, but I think I will, this one's worse. I will say, um, it feels like I know we talked about this already, but it feels like every single game, there's a at least one moment where you're like, oh, that is the worst call of all time. <laughs> oh my god, worst call. Yeah, but it's like every game, every game that happens. And this one, I, I uh, uh, it was bad. It was obviously really, really bad for a lot of reasons. But I will say a lot of immediate reaction to it was, we need to review roughing the passer. <laughs> no, we don't. And here's why. We already tried that with pass interference. And look what happened. There wasn't a single pass interference penalty overturned. It was a complete waste of time, and it didn't do anything. We just got to throw challenge flags for no reason and waste time during NFL games when that happened, right? So if you think that we need to review roughing the passer, no, you're wrong. Sorry. No, I, I it agree. It won't change with you anything. It won't yeah. change anything. We've already tried it. We have clear empirical evidence that it does not work to give coaches a free reign to challenge penalties. It's stupid. Period. No. Yeah. And, so and you know what the solution is? Get better at making calls. Yeah. Well, I mean, literally just yesterday, and I, I say this all the time, like I, I don't like to just be like, oh, they lost because of the officials. There's so many other things that happen. But like when a play that egregious happens where like <laughs> you have to bring it up, it, that that's a 10-point swing. The Raiders end yes. up getting a field goal because it's not just that you don't get the, the sack and the fumble. They also get 15 yards from yes. the penalty. Yeah, and you're probably bad. going in for a touchdown there with Patrick Mahomes having a short field. I mean, that's a 10-point that's a swing. It just is. And so listen, I was already irate with the officials from the two pass interference calls <laughs> on the previous drive the Raiders had, where we just get to reward Derek Carr for being a bad quarterback. 
I get awesome. it. Sweet, I don't know. guys. Sweet. Really cool. I get it. I don't this know. dude sucks, and we're going to give him free yards. They got 50 yards. I get 50. the sentiment there. I get the sentiment of, like, it's rewarding a quarterback for underthrowing him, and it is, but the counter of that is yes, just turn like, around. Here, if you're I the suck. I know I, what I you're suck, saying. So I'm going to throw it 10 yards behind the receiver, so he's going to stop. The DB is going to run into him because he can't see what's going on. But And, oh, there we go. Free yard. the counter to that be watch the ball and see what's going on? Dude, if you're in man coverage, you're watching the receiver. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have a— Listen, I, I, I get what you're saying, but it's like, you know, and, I, and I've heard from elite— Elite corners, elite corners have said, you know, hey, when the receiver's eyes get big, you turn around, right? Yeah. And honestly, in a situation like that, I think if the defender does, like, even make an effort to turn ahead and there's still contact, they maybe might not throw the flag. But, I, just, I mean, dude, come on. Like, what are we doing? You're going to underthrow him by 10 yards and you get you get the, you get get the ball to one? Yeah. That's what we're doing? I just I just honestly don't really think the second one was P.I. is my thing. No, yes. <laughs> I but agree. Anyway, I, I think that it's kind of funny because looking back on it, and even in the moment, like there was a part of me that because even with those calls going against the Chiefs, that was a game where the Chiefs were kind of sleepwalking into yes. it, right? No, at the, the very Chiefs beginning, were playing bad, they seventeen not, nothing. They, they were not playing well early in the game. I mean, they give up the long fourth and and one to, where there were certain plays where it's like, why are you single covering Devontae Adams with Rashad yep. Fenton or something, or why are you singly covering him with anybody? Because you don't have like a Darrell Revis on you know prime <laughs> Richard Sherman on the team, um, and they slept walk into it, and that call almost like awoke everybody. I mean, and obviously the crowd yes. was. Unbelievable it, after that. sense. And it woke up the defense, I'm sure. It woke up the offense. Patrick Mahomes played, like, from that moment on, he played pissed, man. Did you see the yep. video where he was like, I'm here? He's, like, yelling at yep. the, the Raiders yep. guy? Yep. I mean, that woke them up. So, like, in a certain way, that trade-off of, like, a short-term loss of possible points and, and point exchange, I there's a part of me that wonders if they win the game without that happening. That's an interesting. That's an interesting. That's a galaxy brain thought. No, it is a. Yeah, it really is. That they was, were just. They just were so. Like I was caught off guard by that. They were so out of it. They didn't they, look like okay. they were interested. They but at that point in the game, they were getting back into it. Yeah, and that's true. And if, if they that do get play, that fumble, that, yeah, exactly. If that call doesn't happen, and they get the fumble, I think it's from a momentum standpoint, it would still have carried them. So I don't know if I would go as far as to say they don't win the game with that without that penalty but but yes th- certainly from a crowd standpoint i mean arrowhead was going crazy mm-hmm. crazy that would have been for, a fun night to be there i mean they were booing loud. they were booing for like the next you know quarter and a half i mean i've i've never heard that many or like that <laughs> long of boos usually the boos like end after you know a couple minutes right and obviously we know how passionate you know Kansas city fans are if that happens at another stadium i don't know that it's that intense I think what if you, it happens in an SEC stadium, there's stuff thrown on the field. Yes, no, yeah. absolutely. But but you know, NFL fans, I think, are maybe yeah. If not it happens in LA, as, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, are not as intense as SEC mm-hmm. as SEC fans. But Airhead fans are Chiefs fans. Yeah, I I love that after the game, Carl Cheffers, the uh, referee. Which, by the way, I'm fully in on the conspiracy that. Carl Cheffers hates the Chiefs because of the Travis Kelsey stuff in 2016. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that that clip. Where the clip from Travis, after the it was the yeah. Steelers divisional round yep. game in which the Chiefs are going for two to tie it, and Eric Fisher got called for the holding, which probably shouldn't have been a hold. The guy kind of fell down. It was it was kind of one of those like borderline calls. Chiefs were unhappy with it, 
and he went to the the media after the game, and he and Kelsey said that Carl Sheffer should not be allowed yes. to work at Foot Locker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, but to kind of bounce off that though, the holding the defensive holding call against the Raiders on the field goal attempt for the Chiefs that was called against the Raiders that that let the Chiefs. I know, still don't really know alive. what happened there. That defensive holding holding call has been called. That was the first time it was called since 2015. Yeah, that never gets called. Since and I still, like, they so, okay. never, on the so broadcast, they, they never explained, the like, what okay. happened. So here's what I believe the penalty is. It's basically, as a defensive end, let's say you're lined up, like, on one side of the offensive line for a field goal block, and you've got, so you're, so, because the penalty was on, like, one of their defensive ends of the linebacker. So you're, like, a defensive end, and you've got a really, really fast corner, like, next to you that might try to block the field goal. My understanding is that the penalty is basically you grab a hold of the offensive tackle, whatever, and just like toss him a little mm. bit so that the fast corner can then sprint right by and get a straight shot at the block in the field goal. That's my understanding. Of the Interesting. Penalty. So you're basically holding, you're hold, you're preventing the guy from making a block essentially. Well, because I I heard a lot of people be like, yeah, that actually was a flag by the yes. letter of the law, but they never call it. So yes, exactly. So that's my understanding of the penalty. It's like if it's like you have a corner. Or you know somebody fast on the outside who's trying to block the field goal, and the defensive end or whoever will step up and literally grab a hold. Literally, I mean, the, it's a defense holding. He then holds the out the tackle on the outside and prevents him from essentially making a block, so that your your faster guy can get and try to make a block on the field goal. That's my understanding of the penalty. Do you think if the previous penalty stuff and all the booing and and whatnot didn't happen, because clearly. He was shook. Like when the head official went on the mic that one time, oh, yeah. was like there voice was, was shaking. There was a lot of makeup calls for the Chiefs. Do you think the call Arrowhead stands? Costumes. Do you think the call stands on the Devontae Adams catch toward the end of the game? Um if that I, stuff doesn't happen. I don't know because that was a very, very close call. It was. Like he had the It was like, is he turning the ball in his hand yeah, or it was is he like, bobbling? It was it? like the question was like well, and also you have to have possession with two hands. Yeah. So he caught it with like one hand and then he was like kind of transferring it to both of his hands after his other foot had already been picked up. So it was like, you know, but it was it was very, very close. I mean, I'm kind of surprised they overturned it because as I was looking at it, it was one of those plays where it was like there was just not enough conclusive evidence one way or the other. That I was mean, kind of what I thought. The booze would have been remarkable. No, yes, they would have been. <laughs> they would have been. And so maybe you could – Maybe you could make a case. You could put on your tinfoil hat and say, okay, maybe they overturned yeah. because of that. But I think just because of how close of a call it was, I don't I don't know that you would I don't know that you can say like definitively that was what made them change the call. No, I know. I just I just wonder if it's interesting. Like if it's subconsciously yeah. was something like I don't think they discussed it and were like, Hey, we okay, gotta make this hear, call to get out of you here. You wanna hear some real galaxy brain stuff. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. This is this is my opinion. Chris Jones got flagged on that roughing the passer. For being fat. Okay. <laughs> if that's Legarius Sneed falling on Derek Carr and getting the strip sack and recovering the fumble, it's not a penalty. Derek, or excuse me, Chris I mean, Jones right. got yes. called for the penalty because he is a large, muscular man falling on Derek Carr. If that's Legarius Sneed, that's a clean play. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, it's it's the optics of when Chris Jones falls on you, it covers you, right? Because he's, yeah, he's bigger a than you. Yeah, he's 340-pound guy. But if Rogerius Sneed, it's it's impossible to, quote-unquote, put all your body weight because he just he's not going to be big enough to fall on. You know what I mean? So I think you're right, yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's like when, like, Yudoka Azubuki used to, <laughs> I think, get called for fouls sometimes just for, like, being too big. You know, like, well, I'm happens sure, in I'm basketball. Sure, yeah, I'm sure Shaq, that yeah. happened to him before, too. You it's know, too if big. You're, 
Yeah, if you're just a like he just a stands like there, that. somebody runs into him and falls down, you get called for a foul, and it's like I didn't do anything. I'm just too big. So so yeah, Chris Jones. Yes, that he the, that penalty does not get called if it's Lajarius Sneed. Yeah, but I mean that's that's quite the important turnaround for the Chiefs to win that game. You have the Bills yes. coming up. You have the 49ers yes. after that. Now that we spent 12 minutes discussing officiating, maybe we can get to the game. Yeah, I mean the biggest takeaway: Travis Kelsey. Best tight end in NFL history. Yep. I don't think there's any question about it. I don't even think it's a discussion. I love Period. that stat line. Seven catches, twenty-five yards, four <laughs> touchdowns. The the guy the guy the guy is just absurd. Mm-hmm. And the relationship that he and Patrick Mahomes have is is incredible and, and great to see. And yeah, if anybody if anybody tries to argue any other tight end besides Travis Kelsey. Just know that they're delusional. They don't watch football. They don't know what they're talking about. You just need to never associate with them ever again. Sorry. Bye. Travis Kelsey, number one. Well, it's, it's weird. not close. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't, like, go to him on that that third down and three, too. Like, the, the most Dude, key okay, play of the okay, game. Again, I, I, listen, you're, you're preaching to the choir yeah. here. I'm, I, I am the, I'm the biggest person that says, hey, Travis Kelsey is open every play. <laughs> every play is open. Every single play. He, he is always open. Always. Do you do you do you wonder with okay because the running game Clyde continues to struggle. Clyde was he's, horrible. He's Clyde, actually that was a bad game for Clyde. I think which he's is sad because he had a good game last week. Yeah, I think he's done a better job in the pass catching game. But I say that he had the other play where it hit him in the helmet. I swear there was a couple plays on like a, just a straight like handoff. Yes, I played it. It was like a wide open. He would runs get, right he, into would, the he would get the ball. He would run forward to the line of scrimmage, stop and like curl up and just fall down. That's what it looked like. Well, and you see Jet McKinnon, like who was awesome last night. Yeah, I, he I had just, some great runs. I just wonder at what point are they going to start giving a bigger load to Isaiah Pacheco? Like, I, you almost wondered if if this was going to be the week because the week before Pacheco started getting more, or if Jet McKinnon's going to start getting more. It, it seems like they're committed to trying I, to make Clyde happen, but I just don't think it's going to. Yeah, and and listen, I, for a long time, ever since basically Clyde has gotten to the Chiefs, I've been a I've been more of a Clyde supporter than I have not been because I don't like to see just everybody just pile on a guy, you know, just because he was a first-round draft pick, right? Like, if Clyde was, like, a fifth-round draft pick, nobody would care. Yeah. So, He'd be Daryl Williams. Exactly. Everybody loved so, Daryl Williams yeah, for his so, role. So I, I don't, I've always been a big supporter of Clyde, or, or I don't, I've never wanted to be too critical of him just because of the fact that he's a first-round draft pick. But, but yeah, I, I think at some point you have to look at the production that you're getting from McKinnon and even Isaiah Pacheco, and, and say, okay, these, these guys between the tackles are have more success running the ball than Clyde does. And I will say, Clyde had a couple of really nice pass protection pickups uh, against the Raiders last night. And he did have the pass that hit him in the back of the head, but I that, that I mean, what are you <laughs> supposed to do with that? Like, what, like, I mean, what, like how are you supposed to analyze that play? <laughs> it's just... You just you know, whatever route he was running, I mean, you could insert uh. Isaiah Pacheco, you can insert Jarrett McKinnon, you're going to have the same outcome probably. He was just r- roll, running out. What doesn't make wasn't sense the ball is like yet. two plays before they the, the same exact yes. same thing, and he they, looked for it and caught it. Yeah, they did run the I, same play. There's like two plays later, he's like, oh, I forgot. I forgot <laughs> what I did. Um, I I do still have questions about this. It, it's funny. It I mean, the offense... It's still going to put up points. It still has Patrick Mahomes, but there are times when it's going to look a little clunky. We saw the offensive line struggle against specifically the two tackle spots, which it is. It's not going to be an every game thing that you have to go up against a defensive end tandem of Max Crosby, who looks like an all pro defensive end this year. He's already been really good in his career. And 
Chandler Jones, who, you know, is is a stud in his own right on on the other side. I mean, that's not going to be every week for you. But Orlando Brown continues to struggle. Like, yes. I don't know what's going on there. The pass protection did get better it over did. the course of the game. I will say that. I, I almost wonder back. if that was an adjustment thing of, like, we're going to start giving tight end chipping help or running back chipping help at the different sides. Yep. I don't know. Maybe they just got better on their own. You're right, though. They did get better. The other thing is... I have questions about the receivers being able to win consistently against man-to-man. I think we saw a lot more from Marquez Valdez-Scantling last night. than We saw some Hardman. Hardman. Yeah, he got active. Well, uh-huh. yes. and, and again, they had another play where he was running a post, and he was open, and yeah. they missed him again. <laughs> okay, so Patch Mahomes and Nicole Hardman, coming. They, need to, they need to just get on the field for an extended, extended period of time and just practice throwing the ball. Because I, I'm, I am you convinced. You don't think they're doing that? Well, I just no. They they need to do it one on one, like okay. just the two of them, because I am convinced that that is going to work a lot, and I am also convinced that right now Patrick Mahomes thinks he's throwing to Tyree Kill, and Michael mm. Harbin's just not quite as fast as Tyree Kill. Just like one extra step. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You just need to make a tiny adjustment, and those plays are going to hit because Michael Harbin has gotten open multiple times in multiple games this season on deep balls, and it hasn't hit yet, but it's coming. Yeah, you had the Sky Moore getting involved late, too. Like, hopefully that's a sign of things to come. I'll be honest, though. Like, I, I think it would be smart for this team to go out and get another weapon on the outside. I don't know if that's – obviously, the the Panthers just fired Matt Rule. Like, they're going to be in tanking mode. I don't know if, like, a Robbie Anderson or someone – I don't know if that moves the needle enough. But if there's a receiver out there, if an Odell Beckham, if he's healthy and you're able to go out and sign him, like, I don't think it would hurt to kick the tires on that if you're you're the Chiefs. You can never have enough weapons – uh, maybe you go back for Josh Gordon. I'm just joking. Um, but the offense, just because basically you had Jet McKinnon play well for like a limited amount of touches. I Patrick mean, Mahomes Valdez is Scantling, unreal. Valdez Scantling had his best game. Yeah, he did. Career he did. And that throw from Mahomes to Valdez Scantling on like, the side yes. one, he just yep. unbelievable. And again, you just add it to the, the long list of unbelievable plays by him. Uh, it was a little disappointing, though, that we went into Monday and we said, if the Chiefs' defense plays well again tonight, we're going to feel like, okay, this defense is good. And they struggled. Uh, I think the Raiders had, what, Josh Jacobs had like 150 rushing yards. Yeah, it's interesting because the Chiefs' run defense has been, I think it was top five in the NFL they coming struggled. into that game. And it was clear that the Raiders were committed to saying, oh, you got a top five run defense? Well, we're going to find out. Yeah. And they did find out, and it turns out the run defense is not that good. Yeah, and I'm sure it helps when Willie Gay comes back, but Josh Jacobs ran all over you. Devontae Adams had over 100 yards. Um, Derek Carr, but he only had he only had three catches, I think. Yeah, the there were a lot deep of deep touchdowns, balls, right? But he didn't really ha- impact the game super heavily beyond that. Mm-hmm. Derek Carr was efficient. They didn't have any turnovers. He didn't force any there. And then you also had, I mean, the Raiders kind of dominated on the uh, the line of scrimmage. So it wasn't a great game for the defense. That said, if you do end up with that strip sack fumble, that's three less points for the Raiders. Yep. That's more points you're getting for their offense. Uh, maybe without one of the PIs. So there, there's ways that you can say, but the Raiders like barely punted in that game. It, w- it was not a good game for the defense to continue the trend of they're, they're really good. They did enough, though, and thank goodness for Hunter Renfo running into Devontae Adams. Yes. By the way, what's up with Matt Wright being able to make from 59 yards and not make like anything else? I, I don't care. All I have to say is Harrison Butker, <laughs> please come back. Yeah, need him uh, back. That's, that's my take on the kicking. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That is our chief segment on their recap in beating the Raiders. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Big 12 breakdown next. We were going to have a Big 12 breakdown, and then literally right when we went to break, Zach Boyer of the Lawrence Journal World tweeted this out. 
Kansas quarterback Jalen Daniels is expected to miss the rest of the season with a grade three separation of his right shoulder. It's a tough blow for Daniels, who is opening a lot of eyes nationally. It's Jason Bean's team now. So, we should probably talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we, we go from day to day, according to Lance Leipold, to looking like he might be out for, for the season. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, just absolutely sucks for Jalen Daniels. Yes. He wins the, the starting QB job, gets the opportunity last year, carries it into the uh, preseason, and then has an unbelievable start to the year. He's being listed as a Heisman candidate and all these things, and now he doesn't even get to finish this season. And then it's, it's even worse because I think because of the fact that that was their sixth game. He can't even take a red shirt now. Maybe no. he can apply for a medical red shirt. And yeah, they'll, I don't, they'll I don't bend know. the rules. I don't yeah, know how that works. Yeah, I don't know either. And it sucks, too, because now it's like, okay, you only got to play in whatever, like 10 games, 11 games over the last two years, but yeah. both count as full years of eligibility. So that sucks for him. Um, his season being over would mean that, you know, you wait to see what would be for him next year, which would be his fourth season, but... It would basically be his situation. junior year because the COVID year. Yeah, I don't, I don't, if he gets a medical red shirt, it would basically be like he would be a sophomore again. So that be would honest, be. I have, I've, in many aspects, I've kind of yes. fully given up on trying to determine eligibility. Yeah. Um. So by the way, for Jason Bean, I know he's listed as a red shirt senior, but because of the COVID year, he's technically like a fifth year junior. So he technically could have a sixth year, which makes okay. what happens here for the rest of the season for Jason Bean even crazier. If what if Jason Bean does play as good as he did against TCU? Back to the opening question we had about if Jason Bean plays really well in the next couple of weeks, and then Jalen Daniels comes back, what happens? Who's the starter? You would think Jalen, but based on what happened last year when Jason Bean got hurt, Jalen ended up uh, being the starter because he played well in his absence. Now, though, if Jason Bean were to do it for a longer period of time, and you were to go into the off season. And Jason Bean said, I'm coming back for my sixth year. And Jalen Daniels is coming back. That's a <laughs> hell of a quarterback competition. Yeah, no kidding. Like in a good way. It'd, it'd be the, yes, one yes. of the few Kansas football quarterback competitions where it would be like, oh, man, I don't know which guy it's going to be, but well, I we, don't really we, have a lot of confidence. It would be the opposite than that. Literally before this news broke, we just heard from Matt Tate saying, this is what KU has prepared for. This is this is what they potentially prepared for was, was an injury and. And you're right, there was a lot of discussion about why not move Jason Bean around to a different position. Well, here's your answer, because now he's your starting quarterback for the next six games for KU. And we just talked about it earlier. I, I don't think it changes a whole lot in terms of the expectations for the offense. I really don't. I think what we saw against TCU, again, we saw the good and the bad, and I mentioned it. To me, as that was unfolding, I kind of came to the conclusion, okay, well, just from watching this half for Jason Bean, it seems to me like the consistency of Jalen Daniels is probably what pushed him over the edge of getting the starting job to begin with. So if Jason Bean can work on that and be more consistent, then I think the offense will continue to click. But again, as you said, now it becomes a question of, well, if Jason Bean does have a bad game, that might just derail that whole game, right? And that is something to be concerned about. But I will say this. For, for, for Kansas fans that might be panicking or, again, the boogeyman underneath the bed is coming back out, five and seven season, uh, you know, whatever, or he's coming back out, right? I, I just, here's what I will say. I don't understand how you could watch the first six games of this season for KU and not be optimistic that they will be able to win one more. And I mentioned this. 
I don't care if KU six and six or if they're nine and three. They're going to a bowl game in either scenario. That's all that matters. So they only need to get one more win, right? And I don't know how you could watch the first six games, see the tenacity, see the resilience, see the determination of this team, and not be optimistic they can win one more game. I understand that the second half of the schedule is much tougher. I understand that now you're without your Heisman contending quarterback, Jalen Daniels. But I still don't see how you could watch those first six games and come to the conclusion that you that, that KU is not going to win one more game. And that's all they need to become bow eligible. And at this point, that's kind of been the measuring stick of how we've been viewing this team this whole season. Well, obviously, once they got to the hot start, then that then that, that kind of became the measuring stick. You know, earlier in the season, or before the season, in the first couple of games, it was, okay, you know, maybe four four wins, right, might be the goal, right? Obviously, after the hot start, it's really become now the top of the mountain is getting to a bowl. And to me, that is still very, very, very attainable for KU based on how they played their first six games. Yes, agreed. And Jason Bean did look really good against TCU. Again, I will mention, like, Jason Bean actually outperformed Jalen Daniels in that TCU game. We don't know how Jalen Daniels would have finished the game. Maybe he would have outperformed in just the second half alone with different schematic things and changes they made in the locker room. So who knows? Um, you do have confidence Jason Bean can can be good enough for, like you said, KU to at least win one more game. It's just, yeah. Yes. And at this point, I think that's the biggest change there. It does very much. If Jalen Daniels, you knew he was going to come back in two weeks, you could almost convince yourself, hey, just like win one of these next two or three games, have Jalen Daniels comes back. Maybe you can win eight games. Maybe you still can be a Big 12 title contender. Maybe that's still in the cards because this team it is a be. lot more than just the quarterback. The offensive yes. line has been great. They've got good running backs. The schematics and the option and what Andy Kolnicki have done have been fantastic. They've had more at the receiver position and the tight end position has been great this year. The defense has been opportunistic. Like Even with Jason Mean, again, showing what he showed, why can't they continue to do what they haven't already done? It does feel like, though, they're... The whole idea of the panic to get to six wins, you lose the TCU. If you lose to Oklahoma this week and Jason Bean looks bad, it's gonna start to rain in that it's the the boogeyman is going yes. to start coming out for some yes. people. Yes. You're going to start feeling like, uh oh, here we go. Again. Now, I have said, and I will continue to say until it happens, I personally am not going to be worried until KU is five and four and loses on the road at Texas Tech. If they lose to Texas Tech to go to 5-5, five and five, at that point, I will become a bit mm -hmm. concerned. Until then, I will continue to live blissfully and think positively and be optimistic and be really excited about what this team can do. And I know they have a tough second half of the schedule, but Oklahoma suddenly looks very, very beatable. Baylor, I think we still have some questions. We, we assume that they're one of the top three or four teams in the conference, but they've had some games where they haven't looked great. Their offense is not fantastic. Right, So if Bean plays well there, then you have a chance. The Oklahoma State game is going to be tough. No questions about that. Texas Tech is a team that, on one hand, could beat anybody in the conference. On the other hand, could lose to anybody in the conference. So you still feel pretty good about that. Texas with Quinn Ewers, probably going to be an issue. Kansas State, that's going to be a battle regardless of record or regardless of what's going on just because of the enormity of, of the Sunflower Showdown. So, yes, from that standpoint, this game against Oklahoma is, is more important. And I was going to mention this. I will say... Every game that you lose for KU, the pressure increases, yes. I think, in, both internally and externally. Now, the fans, I think, will make the pressure significantly more than it actually is. But it, there's no question that that's going to increase the pressure internally. I don't, I don't see how it couldn't. Right? Yeah. But, but I'm just, I just I urge caution. I urge caution and I urge optimism in the sense of 
don't let the boogeyman get to you too quick. Okay, there's still you've got six games to win one. That's all you need for KU. And again, I, I will repeat it again. I don't know how you could watch the first six games of the season and not be optimistic that KU can win one more. Well, I think you could make the argument that the game on Saturday against OU is KU's most winnable game remaining. I'm not necessarily sure that's the case, but it's in the conversation at this point with what OU has looked like the past couple weeks. And so I think there's almost a lot of pressure. Maybe it's even less on KU winning, but on Jason Bean performing well. Because to see it in back-to-back games, string it together with the TCU game, that would mean a lot. Um, I wonder what the offense will look like. I would imagine it'll be a lot of the same things. There will be little tweaks here and there with what they want to do. Yeah. I mean, I think we we, we touched on it with the option stuff. That might look a little different. And we did see a lot of Jalen being willing to run between the tackles, which you had brought up how – Jason Bean's got more speed, and he's maybe he's not as comfortable running between the tackles. So we might see some more edge-type running from that standpoint. But there's no question Jason Bean's got the arm. There's no question that he's got the ability to make the throws that need to be made. So from the passing standpoint, I don't think we're going to see much of a difference. It's just going to be more of the play action, more of the looking for deep shots that we've seen. And, yeah, I think that option game might be your only question. Yeah. I, I'm worried about the, – there's two worries here now. One – it's the idea in the back of your mind that if like if Jalen the thought was that he was going to come back at some point, then it would be like, okay, well, we think Jason Bean's gonna be good and perform well, but in the back of your head you know, okay, even if this is bad, even if it he doesn't perform well, at least in a couple weeks we have Jalen coming back. Now there is no safety net. Now there is no backup option. So there is that more pressure on him to perform. And then there's also more pressure on him to stay healthy. Like, yes. he's going to have to do a good, good job of avoiding hits because you don't have, uh, like, we don't know. I, I don't know who the third string would be, Ben Easters or Ethan Vasco. I think it would maybe be Vasco, but I'm not positive. It's like, you know, we don't know a ton about what those guys would do right away as freshmen. So you're one big hit to Jason Bean for being in, like, disaster mode at that point which is uh, really unfortunate from where this thing started with Jalen Daniels and whatnot. Um, I think that the other worry for me is that what's the passing game going to look like? It looked really good against TCU. Jason Bean was able to to make a lot work in the air. He was able to complete some big passes. He was able to fit some balls into tight windows and hit some deep passes downfield, which were really good. What happens now that teams move forward and that this isn't going to be a TCU situation where he just got thrust into the game at halftime and they might not have done a ton of scouting on Jason Bean. Yeah, Teams are going to be scouting the tape last year. Teams are going to be scouting the tape this year. Our team's just going to load up the box and say, we're not going to let you run the ball. Let's see what Jason Bean can do passing the ball. And for the most part, Jalen Daniels was able to take advantage of those situations. If you go back and watch the tape of the TCU game, how often did Jason Bean complete a big pass after he had a super long time to pass because the offensive line did a really good job? And also TCU a lot of times was just rushing three guys. Now, on the other hand, you could say that leads to more guys in coverage and he had to complete balls into those tight windows, which he did, which gives you confidence there. But that's my big question. Can he be a consistent enough passer? He was against TCU, but even then you still had some passes that came back and and haunted you. The the one to Devin Neal in the flats, which... That was about as easy of a pass as, as you could have had all day. 
Those are my big questions now with Jason Bean as the starter. He showed potential. I think he can get it done, but you no longer have that security blanket of thinking, okay, but worst case, Jalen's back in a few weeks. Yeah, and I think to your point, that that probably is certainly the biggest question mark is, okay, now that teams know this is who it's going to be at quarterback, what's it going to look like after a full week of preparation for Jason Bean? Can he then have success? And obviously, we're gonna we're gonna find out. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna find out one way or the other. I guess you know. So it's it's it'll be interesting. But but yeah, I listen. The even with the injury to Daniel Highshaw, the mentality of this team, the repeated messaging of this team, starting with Lance Leipold and Andy Kolnicki, next man up, next man up, next guy does his job. We, it's. I mean, it's. 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 It's been drilled so much at this point, and we're. And we're just. You know, we're not even there all the time. I mean, I can't imagine how much this is being drilled actually at practice and everything. So I. I really don't think. And even Lance Leipold mentioned it. I, I, from a mentality standpoint, I don't think it's going to shake this team at all, considering what they've already gone through this season in terms of the ups and downs of some of the games they played, losing Daniel Highshaw, and now losing Jalen Daniels. I think, mental mentally, the team will be fine. Yeah. Well, I wonder, too, in, in that scenario I brought up, Jason Bean plays well the rest of the season. You head into the offseason, and Jason Bean says, I'm coming back for year six, and Jalen Daniels comes back for KU as well. You almost wonder if the guy who loses the competition transfers, and that would suck. But, um, I mean, given the current you know landscape of college football, yeah. it's definitely possible. But that's, you know, that's a future problem, so we'll focus on that later. But for here and now, Jason Bean is the guy moving forward. Let's see what he can do for KU. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll talk more KU football and about this at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Coming up next, we get to my college football playoff rankings. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. In the world of college football, where chaos reigns supreme, one man, one myth, one legend will sort it all out with his college football playoff rankings. This man's name is... I love sleeping in on Saturdays And I love college football games You're listening to Derek's College Football Playoff Rankings on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You need to go back to whatever the hell you was doing before you got on the radio. Let's get to the rankings now. We'll get to more on the Jason Bean starting for the rest of the season with Jalen Daniels out for the rest of the season stuff um, coming up in the 5 o'clock hour along with our KU Offensive Notebook. But a uh, little lighter stuff here with my college football playoff rankings where we'll give you our top eight. And uh, I'll just say from last week, Kansas off the list because they lost to TCU, now down yeah. a quarterback as well. That is sad. Georgia and Alabama were tied eighth. They're off the list as well. Alabama <laughs> barely beats A and M. Georgia, yeah, I don't know. They're fine against Auburn. Nothing yeah, I, crazy. I don't even know what happened in that game actually. The, the Georgia. I mean, I know they, they just kind of like it was like a you know it was just a whole hum game. Yeah, like I think it was like fourteen nothing at halftime, and then it was like you know twenty eight. I don't know. It was just yeah, whole hum victory. Okay, right. cue the music. Number eight, James Madison down from number seven. Wait, they dropped? They did. Why? They only beat Arkansas State 42-20. to This is their first year in FBS, and they're undefeated. Listen, I don't give brownie points for being your first year in the <laughs> FBS. 
You're undefeated, yes, but there were okay. other teams that outperformed you. Okay. They're still in the top eight. They're 5-0. and oh. Style points matter, though. They only okay. beat Arkansas State by 22. Okay. Uh, by the way, circle on your calendar, James Madison, Coastal Carolina, to finish the regular season. That's going to be fun. Both teams could be ranked at that point. Fun which, belt. By the way, weird thing, because obviously the stupidest NCAA rule, James yes. Madison can't play for the Sun Belt title. For now. They could get. That's true. They could apply for a waiver, I guess. I, guess. I, don't, I don't know, know how that, that would work. but I don't either. Um, they also can't play in a bowl game. But if, if the two teams are tied and Coastal Carolina... Like, let's say Coastal Carolina is 9-2 and two overall or something like that. And so, like, a win, it's not like it, them going undefeated would give them a chance at a New Year's Six Bowl or something. It's just the only thing they're playing for is a Sun Belt title at that point. I wonder if Coastal would just rest their starters. Because what would you have to play for? Even if they beat you and finish first in the division, you go to the, the Sun Belt title. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That that would be interesting. I hope they don't do that. No, I, I, that I agree. Happen, but. By the way, James Madison 5-0 and against the spread. Interesting. Keep that in mind. I'm pretty for sure later Kansas is still undefeated against the spread, also. Because mm. they might come well, up guess, later in the list. I guess it depends on what when you got the TCU game. Might come up later in the list. Number okay. seven. Okay. Mount Union down from number six. They dropped as well. Okay. They only again not not a lot of style points. They only beat Heidelberg twenty eight to six. What, what's a Heidelberg? It, uh, it's a t- town in Germany, but apparently it's also a college here where, in the, what, the U.S. What? Where is it at in the United States? You know, <laughs> I have no idea. But well, they only beat them by 22. Uh, still, they're 5-0, and and their average score is 50-3. to Pure domination. Wait, how many points did Heidelberg score? Six. Know? Okay, so they that yeah. was the most they've given up all season. Then, no, think, they right? gave up seven in a game. That oh, was the most. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, they gave up seven in one game, six to Heidelberg, no, nothing else to anybody else. Um, what's your favorite gemstone? Gemstone? Yeah. Uh... Oh, you're putting me on the spot here. I don't know. I guess. Uh, Do you know what a gemstone is? Yeah, like it, like sapphire. Yeah. Or like uh, rubies. Yeah. Or like uh, opal. Yeah. Or, or you know like, a lot uh, more gemstones than I thought. What's the green emerald? Yes. Yeah. Okay. See. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> just, oh. Do you know gemstones? Yeah. Your name. RCST. Just two guys naming gemstones. <laughs> uh, I'd say I, I don't. Well, listen. I don't. I would say whatever my birthstone is, but I don't have no know idea what, what it, is. it is. All right. How about a ruby? As in Wayne Ruby, the team's leading receiver, who is this is his 14 game pace. That's how many games they played last year. With the playoffs. This is for Matt Union. Yeah, okay. for uh, yeah, their receiver Wayne Ruby. He's on pace for 104 catches, 2,032 yards receiving, and 36 receiving touchdowns. <laughs> Unbelievable. That sounds like my road to glory NCAA football 14 <laughs> wide receiver. Nobody can stop him. Okay, in at number six, you brought it up. Kansas against the spread. Hey, there we go. KU, um, based on whatever, I, I don't know what they base this stuff on when you find these stats. Like, is it the opening line? Is it the finishing line? Yeah. Nonetheless, they finished at seven, which they they obviously lost by seven. Yeah, it was a push. So it was a push. So they're five zero and one. But if you got it at seven and a half, they're six zero and zero. But also yeah. the Duke game, if you got it at eight, they'd have a loss. It's yeah. weird. Uh, we'll just go with the official <laughs> counters. They're 5-0-1. They're undefeated. And if you count the point spread, not only are they unbeaten, but their average margin of victory with the spread is nearly 13 points, and that's against legit opponents every week, basically every game. Outside of the Tennessee Tech game, yep. they've all been basically Power 5 opponents because I count Houston to that. Okay, into the top five. Number five, the opposite of Colorado. 
The Buffaloes are 0-5. They're averaging just 13.4 points per game. That's third to last in the entire country. They're also giving up 43.2 points per game. That is second to last in the country. But that means the opposite of Colorado is 5-0 with an average score of 43-13. Yeah, that's really good. Yes. So they might, they might deserve to be higher if that was the case. Honestly, I mean, they're they're the best representative from the Pac-12 right now. Yep. Uh, actually, are they? I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. In the top four, number four, keep, whoever keep is winning. your own rankings. I know. I do. Uh, <laughs> this team was number five last week. Whoever is winning the Big Ten East. Okay. Michigan, Ohio State, now 6-0. Yep. C.J. Stroud just rolling his Penn, way to Penn probably State the Heisman. Michigan play this weekend. They do. Penn yep. State had a bye, I believe, this week. They're 5-0. and Yep. So even if... You know, whoever wins doesn't really matter. Whoever loses exactly, because yeah. it's just whoever's got, winning the division. Covered. Yeah, he's got him covered. Perfect. We hedged. Number three, <laughs> TCU. They were uh, number three last week, I believe, too. Okay. But um, yeah, I, I don't know what else I can say about them. They're five and zero. They have a really explosive offense. They they beat a former top four team we had in Kansas. Yep. They tied with uh, Kansas against the spread. That's impressive. They have multiple. Like tier one wins, essentially. TCU in at number three. All right, number two is up from number four. Iowa with an average offense. Because last week they lost to Illinois. Iowa did. did on its own. Nine to six. So again, <laughs> if they had an average offense, they win the darn game. Um, right, they win the, they win by twenty, probably. Yes. An average offense, they're scoring thirty points, they're winning thirty to nine. It's not even close. And at that point, with an average offense, because they're actually in real life, they're three and three. <laughs> but with an average offense, they beat Michigan. Yep. They beat Illinois, yep. who's a top twenty-five team now. Michigan's obviously like a top ten team in the AP poll, not our poll, the one that matters. But in the AP poll, they're top yep. ten. Um, and they also would have beaten Iowa State, which that's a whatever win, but it's still a Power Five win. I this is ridiculous to me. Iowa's three and three. They're giving up nine point eight points per game. Offensive yards, the most overrated. Set oh my gosh! Yeah, football. that video of Kirk Ferentz. Oh my gosh! It offensive yards. It's like he was joking. They asked the coaches know, in the I, Big Ten. I know. It's like you, it's like on one hand, you want to believe he's joking, but I don't it's think like was. deep down, you nobody have that, else was. <laughs> exactly. It's like it's like deep down, you have that feeling that he legitimately was not joking. Yes. Again, the, the, they they asked all the Big Ten coaches like, "What's the most overrated stat?" And Kirk Ferentz said, "Offensive yards." <laughs> well. Like, it probably like, wouldn't be three like, and three. You literally can't even make that up. No, you really can't. But Iowa with an average offense in at number two, they'd be six and zero. Oh, all sorts of ranked wins. Number one though, unable to budge from last week. How could you take it away from Los Angeles? As I mentioned last week, why are UCLA and USC different schools? You know, we don't have University of Kansas and. University, University Kansas of system Lawrence. of Kansas or something. Yeah, University of Lawrence. That was a better way of putting it. Um, <laughs> we have one one college in the city, and it's like, okay, if you're going to have other colleges in the city or the area, they're different classifications, right? We have Haskell. We have Baker. Those are nearby, but those are not D1 universities. Why does L.A. have two of them? So well, they LA's should all be like one school. 20 million people. Nah, doesn't matter. They should all be one school. And because of that, I mean, University of Texas, they're the only school in Austin. I think LA has a higher population than Austin. Probably, but it's still a big city. But Buffalo is the only. Or, uh, what's what is in what schools in New Syracuse? York Syracuse. Hmm. I mean, there's other one like D1 basketball teams. I don't know if there's Rutgers is New Jersey. So that's a. I don't know. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, yeah. So yeah, the point is they should be combined. If they were, <laughs> USC beat Washington State, yep. which means 
by nature, they beat Nick Springer, who was our former number one team. Yep. Um, tough loss, yeah. How about UCLA, man? I was not a believer yeah, in guess, UCLA. Yeah, I guess we have to. I guess we have to start talking about UCLA. Yeah, double digit win I mean, over I, I Utah. Think, I think you and I were two pretty big haters. I think and so. They, they beat Washington, who was undefeated, and then they beat Utah. Yeah. So uh, they are on a collision course right now, but at the moment they are twelve and zero. Nobody else is even near that in terms of their wins totals. You combine the two teams, unbelievably talented. I don't know who starts at quarterback. Caleb Williams probably, but Dorian Thompson Robinson's been awesome. Los Angeles in at number one. Okay. That's uh, my college football rankings for the weekend. Man, Los Angeles. Mm. Yeah, I, I, Powerhouse. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I think we literally had this discussion last week about are there other cities that have multiple D1 universities? Yeah. Uh, I think we literally had this discussion last week. I forgot to mention this, but back to the Iowa thing. This is, this is a sequence that happened in the Iowa game. Iowa punted from their own 16, okay. recovered the muffed punt from Illinois at the Illinois 35. And they punted again. They went three plays for minus six yards, and they punted again. They then forced a fumble, and they recovered at the five. <laughs> they went four plays for negative four yards, and they kicked a field goal. That was basically a 15-play, negative 10-yard drive that resulted in a field goal. Maybe they should be number one with an average <laughs> offense. I don't know. That'll be a discussion oh, awesome, for next man. week. That's awesome. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. More on the Jalen Daniels news and a KU Offensive Notebook next. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We are going to play the rest of the Lance Leipold audio from earlier today for you. Coming up later this hour, in case you weren't listening earlier, you're just now tuning in, coming off work or whatnot, uh, Zach Boyer of the Lawrence Journal World reporting that Jalen Daniels has a grade three separated shoulder and he is out for the rest of the season for KU football. So unfortunate stuff there for Jalen. We actually talked in the open a little bit about the comparison and some of the differences between Jason Bean and Jalen Daniels being less accurate as a passer, maybe throws a better deep ball. He's faster, but Jalen's better at breaking tackles and absorbing hits through the middle and having a willingness to get hit, which uh, maybe will be good because Jason Bean, if you are avoiding hits, that's good now that there's not as much QB security kind of behind you. Um, and that there have been maybe more inconsistencies with Jason Bean from what we've seen over the past year and a half. But I don't know. I guess uh, continuing on this conversation with him, I, I'm starting to wonder because I, I do have those questions about, like we've seen, I'll, I'll pull up his game logs here and, and give an example of like some of those past inconsistencies yeah. that he has had. Obviously, he looked great against TCU. And if you guarantee that's what he's going to look like every game or you know, everybody's going to have bad games. So I, I don't mean to say inconsistency as if like, oh, you had five good games and one bad games. Um, but if he plays like that in four games of the next six, I, I think you would take that. The more I've thought about it, another thing that I consider that I think is a big positive is this is the best KU offensive line. Yes. Ever? Maybe? <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> I mean, go that far. I mean, I mean uh, just go back to like 2007. That offensive line had a first team all-American yeah. yeah. one of the ta- – I mean, that, that yeah. team was really okay, good okay, on the okay. line, but Sorry, sorry, sorry. The first – the best offensive in line in 14 years, 13 sure. years. Yeah. And by a lot, like significantly yes. better. Like a top three offensive line in the Big 12 maybe. Is that crazy to say? I don't know. I don't think it's crazy. Wouldn't surprise me. They've been really good so they far been, this season. They've been excellent. They've been 
I don't think you can overstate how good they've been mm-hmm. so far this season. But the, the, here's the here's the game logs from last year from Jason Bean. So South Dakota game in itself was inconsistent, really through the first part of it. But he finished really strong. He had that great uh, last minute drive, converted a fourth down for KU to win the game. Coastal Carolina, he was really good. Pass completion was only around fifty percent though. And then the next game after he was really good against Coastal Carolina when he had 189 yards in the air, right, no turnovers. Say Coastal Carolina twice. Which yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm just reading the stats for that one. 13 oh. carries for 102 yards and two touchdowns. So he was really good there. The very next week against Baylor, he went 8 of 17 for 57 yards. So there's an inconsistency. Then the next week, it was back to the high. It was at Duke. He was 19 of 32 for 323 yards, two touchdowns, and had 54 yards rushing. And then the next week was a low, 10 of 20 for 120 yards and an interception, five carries for 19 yards in a 52-point loss to Iowa State. Next week was another low, 11 of 21 for 80 yards and an interception against Texas Tech. Next week was a high, 17 of 23, 246 in the air, a touchdown, 14 for 59 on the ground against Oklahoma when you almost beat them last year. Next week was maybe the lowest of all lows, 3 of 10 for 10 yards, nine carries for 24 yards, and then he got hurt the next game against Kansas State. The point is that there's a lot of ups and downs along the way there. And so that is my biggest worry for this year. When you have an ultra-competitive team around him, you're looking for that consistent play at the quarterback position. Am I not giving enough credit, though, to the idea that he's just better this year and that he has improved a lot and that also, like what you said with the offensive line, KU as a team is just a lot better around the quarterback this season. Should I not be worrying about last year's stats? I think you should be worried in this sense. KU is more competitive, no question about it. This is one of their best teams they've had in a long time. They have the weapons at running back. They have an excellent group of tight ends. Their receiving core has answered the bell when their number's been called. I think where you could be concerned, though, is like what we just saw against TCU, is late in the game when you need that X-factor play, when you need that big moment, will he be able to come through for you in that situation? And against TCU, I think you could almost say the answer was no. I mean, he misses Devin Neal wide open, and he had the pick earlier in the game, right? So if it's a close game, and it's in the fourth quarter, and you need a drive for a touchdown or a field goal, if it's if it's a one of those inconsistent game, games for Bean, but the rest of the team has kept him in it, can he rise to the occasion late in the game to push you over the top? I think that's where you could be most concerned. I, I really... I just find it hard to believe that this is that KU is is a team that is going to lose games by 20 or 30 points, mm-hmm. right? Like, I guess maybe you could look at Oklahoma State and say, okay, that one's concerning because of the past trends against Oklahoma State. But I just don't see it. I just don't see this team losing by 20, 30 points in a game this season. I just don't see it. But what I could see is if it's a you know seven-point game or a six-point game or three-point game, Third and it's in the third quarter, and you you need a you need a response, right? You need a response from the offense. Can he do that? Can he deliver that for you? And it's and maybe if he can't, then that game slips from a seven point game to a fourteen point game, mm-hmm. or a t- or a ten point game, and you end up losing by double digits. But it's not a you know twenty thirty point loss. Yeah, I could see that happening. But yeah, I think that's I think maybe you could take the inconsistency angle and apply it to late in games. If it is an if it is an inconsistent game for Jason Bean, would he be able to rise up and overcome that in a situation where, you know, maybe in the past, maybe last season, it was a game where it was, you know, 52 to nothing, the game was over and he went down and maybe scored or something or had some late, something late in the game that was positive. 
But there's one thing to do that in that situation. It's another thing to do it in a game where it's 27-21 or 27-24 and you need something to happen for your offense. Yeah, and, and I think there's two ways of looking at this. One, if you separate it based on last year, you could say, because the, to the idea that it's just a better situation around him, well, then why was Jalen Daniels so much more successful last year when you had a win and two other games that were closer? Because was that more just consistent. Exactly. Was that just he was more consistent? Was that what, like he was that much better? Or was the team as a whole, did they just happen to flip, flip a switch when Jalen took over at quarterback and the two things kind of lined up? Um, but there, again, if you believe some of the stuff that Jason Bean was really in on it in the QB competition and that by some people he outperformed Jalen Daniels just in the camp portion— then you should have confidence, and and yes. that was reinforced against TCU. So it's kind of this battle for me back and forth between the idea that I think they're not going to skip a beat, and also I am worried about the inconsistencies. I should mention this real quick, though. On three, which is like a big recruiting site, I don't know if this was on Twitter or on Instagram or what, because uh, somebody screenshotted this. It said the news, Kansas quarterback Jalen Daniels expected to miss the remainder of the season, according to Zach Boyer. Mello Dotson, obviously KU, one of their football players, yeah, yeah. just replied with the little hat emoji to say cap, which oh. the kids say cap means that's not true. Kobe Bryant also responded to it, said false news. So I guess we wait and see on this now. Huh. I trust I Zach. I trust his reporting. Um, but that does make me have questions here with those guys. Now, I don't know. Now I, I just I, I'm I'm completely lost by all this. I, so I guess yeah. should we just should we just wait for tomorrow on more stuff maybe to come <laughs> out here? Should we just I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean I I mean I do think this is a situation and a type of injury that it it probably is just a wait and see type thing, right? Yeah. Like it's to his right shoulder, I'm pretty sure. So That's what I'm wondering shoulder, if they're so saying it's, like, it's false news about. Like maybe it is a a separated shoulder. Yeah. Maybe it is a, a grade three depends or something. On how it how yes. things progress. And I and believe like, a grade three, you have to get surgery. Maybe like I'm not gonna he can come back at the end of the season. I actually separated my shoulder, but I only had a, I forget if I had a grade one or grade two, so I didn't have to get surgery. Huh. Um, I was out for several weeks, and it was, my <laughs> right out, arm actually hangs were, lower than on. my left arm. You were out, out, of, out of what? Football. I, I played oh, okay, quarterback okay, okay. In, in middle school, and I was rolling out. I got sacked from behind, landed on my shoulder. Okay. And you heard a pop and, and all these things, and and then it was tough coming back after that. You lost a lot of arm strength. And obviously, like, it's stupid to compare me to Jalen Daniels. It's just so different. <laughs> yeah. But that was my experience. You just and, and every time you'd make a throwing motion for a little bit in recovery, you would just feel a tingling pain all the way through your fingers. So it's – and that was – again, I forget if I had a grade one or grade two. Jalen Daniels having a grade three and assuming that's the case. But, again, we don't know because, you know, Zach's a good reporter, but also – are you going to go against what his teammates are saying? Yeah, because I, I would imagine they're texting with Jalen Daniels, right? So, weird. We'll leave it alone for now. Let's get to the rest of our KU offensive notebook. Whoever the quarterback is, whoever the running back is, stop fumbling the football. Yeah, they're, they're, considering the success of Kansas, there are a few puzzling things about this team that kind of go contradictory to what you would expect from a Lance Leipold team and based on his messaging. The first is fumbling. I mean, I've I've never met it. I've never seen a coach that has been more on discipline than Lance Leipold. I mean, his mess, his everything's discipline. Everything is, you know, this, that, and the other, right? 
and yet they have a fumbling problem. And the other thing is they have a penalty problem, which Lance touched on. Like, those are two things that, to me, really jump off the page. It's like, whoa, why is this an issue for this team? It, it wasn't an issue last year. And why is it an issue now? So I, I don't know. Yes, the fumbling is is definitely a serious problem. And, again, the Jalen fumble at the one-yard line against TCU, a moment in the game that you could probably point to and say, KU maybe lost the game on this on this sequence of events. So it's absolutely a huge issue, and it's not just one guy. So it's an epidemic at this point. So they absolutely have to get that fixed. Maybe they should be like Bijan Robinson, and all of them should carry footballs around on campus for the next. You know, whatever. he hasn't fumbled since. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. Like all jokes aside, yes, this, that has to get fixed. There's, there's no question about it. There, it has to be that that if you're going to be a a team that ends up with seven, eight wins, that's got to be fixed. Uh, b- by the way, I I just read this uh, again. Going back to the Jason, if Jalen Daniels were out for the season, the NCAA has two requirements for a medical redshirt. The injury must have occurred in the first half of the season. Technically, it would be. It did. Oh, no, it six, did. Yeah, first six games. And the uh, this is the one I don't understand. And the athlete must have competed in less than thirty percent of the season. How is that calculated? Is it calculated on Let's snaps? So Does it count the defensive so snaps four, when he's not on the field? So four games is 33% of the season. But is it based on games played? Or is it based on like snap count? Because if it's games played, then yeah, he can't play them less than 30%. Yeah. But anyway. I don't know. I don't know. Start for another day. So yeah, fumbling problem. Um, KU offensive line, yeah, we what you mentioned. Yep. Really good. Incredible. Um, Phenomenal. It's three tackles for loss allowed by TCU. They had the one sack allowed. They've allowed just three so far all season. That game was actually the best pass blocking grade of the season on Pro Football Focus. Dominic Pooney. Pooney, I'm he's gonna be an all Big 12 performer. It's been an incredible story. Incredible. What an unbelievable pickup via transfer. Like you to get a guy from D two, he's never played a D one game, and for him to just come in straight away and be like, Oh, I I'm not just gonna have problems making the transition. I'm going to dominate. Yeah. I love the nickname there, too, by the way. I forget if it was David Lawrence or Brandon McAnderson who, I don't know if somebody else coined it to them, but I heard it first from them on uh, KLWN with the Jayhawk Radio Network, uh, nicknaming him the Punisher. <laughs> I love it. Love it. <laughs> uh, but he, I, I mean, Mike Nowitzki, just good every game. Bryce Cable do was solid. Michael Ford and Earl Bostic. Earl Bostic graded out unbelievably well on yes. Pro Football Focus. So offensive line, great performance from them. With the running back position, dude, I listen. I I don't I don't really understand this. I don't I don't really get this at all. Savion Morrison is averaging almost twelve yards per carry. On the one play that he got the ball against TCU, he went for forty yards. I I I don't know if I'm missing something. I don't know what the where the distance. He's averaging is. over eleven yards per yes, carry. Yeah, that's what he's yeah. averaging almost twelve yards per carry. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know where. The disconnect is, I don't know what's going on. But to me, Savion Morrison has to be a guy that you want to get the ball to. You want to get more involved in the offense. I don't I don't know. I mean, Devin Neal had a solid game rushing the ball for TCU. Kai Thomas, I don't remember his final stat line. I don't think it was anything too crazy, but he did get involved it as well. It was six carries for 18 yards. Yep. But like 15 of it came on one run. Yeah, so I I don't, I don't know. And Savion Morrison, fumble. to me, he looks... 
to me, Savion Morrison is kind of the the home run hitting running back for KU. Yeah, and, and that's, they need to get him the ball more. Period. Yeah, I don't I don't know how else to put it. I don't know if it's just a situation where it's like they're just he's just getting these big plays because they're setting it up with these crazy plays and they're just executing it well, and he happens to be on the field. But you're right; it's it's hard not to look at the results there and see what he's done compared to maybe Kai Thomas and and not be like, well, why is he not getting more run here? So I I, I would like know. to maybe see a game where he gets a handful of carries. I don't know. Maybe he's got a fumbling problem just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But, but at that point, it doesn't. I mean, if, if, everybody's, if fumbling, everybody's fumbling, if everyone's fumbling, just get him in there anyway. <laughs> what does it matter? Yeah, I I do think the idea is with Kai Thomas that the ceiling in terms of you would think is pretty high. Yes, the ceiling think. in terms of being like an every down back who can be a bit of a power runner that you lost in Daniel Highshaw, like that's higher for Kai Thomas. But the production yes. right now, whether it's Kai Thomas still dealing with injury. Um, because he just came back from injury. So, like, you know, yeah. we give it some time a little bit. But I do think Savion Morrison, I'd like to see him get some more touches in the offense. I think Mason Fairchild deserves a huge a huge shout-out. And actually, Lance Leipold gave him one in the yeah. press conference today, which was cool. But that was just an incredible catch. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Just a remarkable play. And obviously, it was such a significant play at that point in the game for KU. And I just mentioned the, the offensive line and how I don't think you can overstate how good they've been. We've talked about it. The tight end group collectively has been equally phenomenal so far this season for KU, and and they've also shown great ability to catch the ball. We've seen Jared Casey make some catches, and Mason Fairchild added to the list uh, against TC with that with that play that he made. And so, yeah, I, I think the tight ends deserve a lot of credit, and almost as an extension of the offensive line in some ways, running the ball. I mean, they've been great, and 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 again, I think it's one of the situations where it doesn't necessarily have to be the same guy every week. Like this week, it was Mason Fairchild. Obviously, we've seen Jared Casey make some plays. Trevor Cardell has, I think, two touchdowns on what three catches, four catches so far this season. So it could be any of them, and they've all been making great plays for KU. So I just wanted to give Fairchild the shout out specifically, and also the tight end group as a whole. Yep, they've been awesome. Yeah, that I still don't know how he did make that catch. <laughs> yes, I was like Willie Mays going back on the, on that one, but. I don't think he saw the ball. No, I don't think so. I Honestly, big credit too to Jalen Daniels for that pass because I think Jalen almost like threw it to a point where he could not drop it. Like it was literally like he just put it where his hands were almost. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Trevor Wilson's back at practice this week. So that becomes interesting for a team that, yeah, I, especially if you're going to, you know, I guess, first of all, Jason Bean had a really good connection with Trevor Wilson. So if Jason Bean's going to be the quarterback, that's good on its own. I don't know what to expect from Trevor Wilson as part of this, though. Yeah, like, I would imagine he doesn't play this week. Yeah. I would imagine the soonest he would play, because just getting him back in shape, integrated with the team and everything, um, maybe after the bye week. Even yeah. then, though, I Ly still wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play at all this year. Lance Leipold didn't clarify this, but I guess we have to assume that the his indefinite suspension is just completely lifted. He didn't. He didn't clarify. He just said he was back at practice, full. Everything's back. So I guess, I guess we just have to assume that he is back and good to go. I suppose. Uh, I don't know how else to take that. He, like I said, there was no, there wasn't clarification from Lance. But I mean, that's that. I guess would make the most sense to me. So I guess from that standpoint, he technically would be available to play this week. But uh, again, I, I think the wide receiver core for KU. What was looked at as probably the biggest weakness of this team coming into the season has has certainly not been that. And they when they have answered the bell when their number's been called and it's been very impressive and and yeah, you 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 definitely like to add another weapon to that group, certainly. But I mean, I don't is is Trevor Wilson a guy that's gonna come in and take away from 
other guys that have been playing so well, like where does he slot in? You've got Lawrence Arnold, you've got Luke Grimm. Quentin Skinner looks like the go-to deep threat guy. Tanaka Scott even made a big play against TCU. Like I, I guess where the, I guess the question becomes where would he slot in having missed so much time now at this point in the season? I think he'd be more of a rotational guy who might play 10 snaps in a game and you use him as a deep threat. And just get him the ball. Maybe he gets. He might only get one or two targets in a game because he's gonna have to work kind of back into that. But it, it never hurts to have extra weapons, extra explosive guys that can work the ball down the field. And yeah, he had that good connection with Jason Bean. So certainly interesting. Like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if he plays coming up soon. I also wouldn't be surprised if it's like, hey, we're we're still not gonna play him for a while, just as kind of a, a punishment or whatever. There. Um, you know what sucks. What's that? KU special teams has been good outside of just the fact they can't really make kicks and they don't have <laughs> like a, a punter who can just boom the ball. And that's unfortunate because that affects the offense, the amount of points you're scoring. I kind of think you're at a point now because the, the field goal you missed against Iowa State, it was like, okay, I get it. He missed a 50-yarder. Um, the field goal you missed against TCU was what, like 34 yards, something like yeah, that, 31 yards. Yeah, You're going to start having to just – go into drives going if it's you know and maybe this is a good well, thing to be more aggressive but you, you almost have well, to like again, approach I, it like we can't make field goals well and again i think that where they did kick the field goal because of the play they ran on third and 12 i think they would have gone for it i think if jason Bean gets right. six seven yards on that play they probably would have gone for it but he only got three and so at that point they just decided all right let's let's just settle for it but but yeah it, it is interesting because we have seen at times this offense be very aggressive and at other times be very conservative right so uh, but I, I agree with you I think the question becomes especially if you know you've got a really strong offensive line you know you've got some really talented running backs you've got Jason Bean we said we've seen Quentin Skinner they ran the end around for him on a fourth down that got a first down like at this point if it's fourth and five or less you know and you're between the 40s or you're in positive territory, I think you I think you do just have to say, you know what, we're going to go for it. We, we trust our offensive line. We trust our talented running backs. We trust our guys to execute and, and, and make it happen. And I, I do think that's the approach you might need to have if you're KU because from the kicking game standpoint, you never want to miss points, obviously. But even further, I want to discuss a little bit more, was TCU was outgained by KU. KU outgained them. But some of that had to do with the fact that TCU was getting great field position because KU was unable to execute on kickoffs. And Lance Leipold came out post-game presser, which we had on the show yesterday, and he said that was by design, that we want we wanted to limit the deep the deep returns of TCU. But it kind of backfired on him. TCU got the ball with great field position on a number of situations. They got it at midfield off of the there was a personal foul or there was a sports unsportsmanlike against Quentin Skinner. KU had to kick off from the thirty from you know fifteen yards back. They kicked it out of bounds. TCU got the ball at midfield. And on that drive, I think they scored in six plays, five or six plays. So even just beyond the actual kicking for points, field goals, they've got to work on also their kickoffs and special teams as well because it was very unsuccessful against CCU. And it and it's it's one of those things that it might not be the headline of the game, but I think it definitely affected the outcome. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That's our KU Offensive Notebook. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll share the rest of the Lance Leipold audio coming up on the other side. This is RCST.